The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Continue to pray for me as I try to preach to you from the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. We have been in a series on the life of the only man in the Bible and in history that's called a man after God's own heart. We've been preaching about David. This will be, I believe, the fourth sermon that uh, I've been uh, blessed to be able to try to bring to you about David. And I want to say to you, as you turn to the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, that uh, I hope it's been a blessing for you, but I can promise you it's been a blessing for me to study and to prepare these messages because the life of David is so, so real. It's so down to where we live. Uh, sometimes we think of the characters in the Bible as some sort of super Christians, some sort of super saints that, uh, uh, that are almost fictionalize them. Uh, we, we think about the Bible as, as we might think of the Lord of the Rings or some other uh, fantasy novel. And I want to say to you that the Bible is better than any fantasy novel that you could ever find because uh, the, the difference between the Bible and these other novels uh, is that the Bible's real. Yeah. And it, you know, it's it's a it's a book that will help you and I to get through everyday life, uh, and and I want to preach to you uh, uh, this morning about David, and I want us to realize that there's some very practical applications that David's life has to our own our own lives. Uh, now understand that salvation is it, the gospel of our salvation is contained on every page of this Bible, every page of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. <laughs> the Jews thought they had a pathway to salvation. They thought, well, we'll keep the law, we'll get to heaven. But what, it, what the, the Bible is teaching us is it's pointing us to Christ, which is the only path of salvation that there is. Uh, he's the only one that could walk that path. <laughs> we couldn't do it. Uh, so when we read about David, we read about these Old Testament saints, understand that they're ultimately pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, David is, uh, is in the lineage of Christ. David is mentioned as sort of a type of Christ. In the Psalms that David wrote, there are many foreshadowings and prophecies of the coming of Christ. 22nd Psalm is one of the most uh, uh, gut-wrenching psalms you'll ever read. It's the only first-person account of the, of the uh, crucifixion. Uh, you can read the Gospels and you can talk, you know, the Gospels are written from the standpoint of someone who's watching the crucifixion. We hear what Jesus said. We see what he, what he went through to a great extent, although the Lord turned off the lights at one point where we couldn't see all the sufferings that he was going to endure. But you turn to the 22nd Psalm sometime, and you'll, it starts off like this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's written from the first person, and he tells you about all the sufferings that he endured himself. Some say, well, on the cross, Jesus was quoting David. No, in the 22nd Psalm, David was quoting Christ. <laughs> it was a prophecy. It was a prophecy there of the of this ultimate crucifixion of Christ. So David is an important figure. He's a real figure, and his life has been an encouragement to me already as I read about him. Because we don't just read about his successes; we read about his failures too. We're going to get to those uh, uh, as we continue to study his life. But in the 16th chapter of the book of First Samuel, we pick up in the 14th verse where uh, we have just left the home of Jesse, David's father. And you know what happened there. Uh, Samuel came and anointed David king, 
in the mind and purpose of God, David is now the king of Israel. Although Saul still sits on the throne. And we pick up in verse 14 with a new vision here. We've gone, it's sort of like a movie. We've gone from the home of Jesse, and now we, you know, the, the lights go down there, and they come up on the palace in Jerusalem. And listen to what it says. It said, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, what we're about to read about is that David is about to get a new job. Remember where we found David before? David was so insignificant, even in his father's own eyes, that when Samuel called the family together and sort of, I don't know if he told Jesse directly or he wink, wink, nod, nod, but you know, he came there with a horn of oil. He's the guy that anoints kings. He's, he says, I want to do a sacrifice. Yeah, right, okay, come on. So, oh, I better get all my kids together. And he gathers seven of his eight sons together. Ah, but not David. You know, David, it couldn't be him. Because, you know, look at Eliab. Man, he is good. Look, he's strong. He's, I don't know, six foot two, six foot three, specimen of a man. And all these other sons were, were much greater in the eyes of men, as you recall. And David was just, you know, somebody's got to keep the sheep, so we'll just let it be little David. Because there's no way little David could possibly be the king that Samuel's looking for. And you remember what God said? To Samuel, Samuel even thought it was Eliab. He said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God said, Samuel, I don't look on the outward appearance like you do. I judge on the heart. And of course, you know the rest of the story. It turned out to be David. And then we're told in verse 13, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And then in verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, I want to talk about some of these events. And first of all, I want, to see, I want us to talk about where the Spirit of God leaves Saul. But before we go any farther, let me clear up a little theological point here. First of all, we can never lose the Spirit of God in an eternal sense. You say, well, isn't that what it said here? No. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. Everything in the Word of God, you must take in context. I know the world likes to reach out and grab a verse and put it on a poster and, or put it on a billboard or on a bumper sticker. But I'll tell you, child of God, you've got to take everything in context. Uh, we're told that it's here a little, there a little. Uh, we're told that it's line upon line, precept upon precept. I've heard it said and, used, and I've told you this many times that a text out of context is usually a pretext. Yeah. <laughs> You're just trying to prove something that, uh, that, that you, some pet theory, but you've got to take it all in context and where it is. So, so what is he saying here uh, that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul? Well, first of all, that word departed there, if you do a little word study on it, I love the root word there means to turn off. <laughs> turn off. It, so it's, you, you might could read it this way. I'm not trying to improve upon this precious uh, KJV uh, Bible, but I'll say you might could read it like the Spirit of God turned off in the life of Saul. And I want to say to you, child of God, there's a sense in which the Spirit of God may depart from us or be turned off in this life, but not for eternity. Preacher, can you prove that? I sure can. And I can read it out of the words of Christ in John chapter 10 and verse 27. Lest you go away from here saying, I'm afraid I may lose the Spirit of God and die and go to hell. Because uh, that's what that verse said. That's not what the verse said. Because Jesus says in chapter 10 of John in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
So he's got some sheep and he knows them. And, and, and those sheep hear his voice. What voice is that? Well, we'll read it in a minute. But over in John chapter 5 and verse 25, he says, uh, uh, he said, Verily, verily, the hour is coming and now is when they which are dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. He's talking about the new birth there, child of God. That new birth is caused by the voice of the Son of God. My sheep hear my voice. You know, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful it's not the voice of the preacher. I'm thankful it's not the voice of the Bible tract salesman. I'm thankful it's not the voice of the missionary. It's not the voice of any one of us because I falter in my voice from time to time. I misquote. I misstate things. I'm not as eloquent as I should be from time to time. But the voice of Jesus Christ... That's the voice that can reach even into the very womb of a woman and cause John the Baptist to leap with joy. He can reach into the womb of a, of a, of a, of a mother who's uh, about to abort a child and cause that child to be born again. He can reach to a man who is yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, heading to uh, a place called Damascus to uh, drag Christians down to, uh, to be uh, thrown into jail, who's not seeking God, not looking for Him, and yet He overtakes Him by the voice of His power is the same one that can reach a thief on a cross who by all accounts should have died and gone to hell and probably his, his folks all thought He did because He'd done nothing good in His life. <laughs> and yet on the cross after He'd been doing the same thing though, you know there wasn't, sometimes we get mixed up and we hear things and they're taught a little misconception. Everybody, oh, there was one good thief and one bad thief. No, there wasn't. There were two bad thieves. You read the 27th chapter of Matthew sometime. We're told he was crucified with a thief on one side and a thief on the other side. And, and the Pharisees and those that passed by and the rulers, they were mocking and cursing him and taunting him. And you know what it says about the thieves? Not just one thief, both thieves. They were casting the same in his teeth. They were casting the same as the, you know, can you imagine if you had passed, been one of those passing by and you looked up and you saw Jesus in the middle and a thief on each side and everybody taunting him and everybody mocking him and even looking up at those two thieves, both doing the same thing. And then you passed on by and, and you would be thinking to yourself, well, you know, both those thieves died. And it looks, looks to me like based on their fruits, they died and went to hell. <laughs> that's all you could judge about. They weren't just pickpockets. The word thief, and in in, I think in Luke it calls them malefactors, evildoers. They were robbers. Uh, Lance knows what I'm talking about. There's a difference in theft and robbery. Theft is when you pick something up and take it away with no violence, even under our laws. And under our laws, robbery is something you violently take from somebody else. And uh, in, this, uh, in this case, they were violent Thieves. They were what we would call robbers and brigands and, and those that, uh, uh, that, that waylaid people on the side of the road. You know, I'm sure his mama, if she, if she never read the account of Luke, lived the rest of her days wondering where her son was because he was, he was just like the other one. But you know what happened on the cross? Without a preacher, without a baptismal pool, without a Bible tract, without anything else, the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Son of God, caused that man's heart to be renewed. And suddenly he wasn't singing the same old song. Suddenly he wasn't singing the same old tune, was he? They had the chant going, uh, mocking him, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, you can save yourself. And suddenly he started singing off a different sheet of music than the other thief. And he started singing the gospel tune. 
we deserve what we get. You know, there's not one person who's ever <clears throat> truly seen themselves as they are that doesn't understand that we deserve nothing more than hell for eternity. That's all we deserve. We don't have any, you know, and, in our, and, and the thing of, in our flesh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, he says the natural man, that is the one who's only had one birth, the natural birth, not the, the new birth, the natural birth, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You know, I, I look at it, I've heard it put this way uh, often, that in our age especially, in which we live, you know, there's satellites in the sky, there's radio towers, cell phone towers. All of us probably got a cell phone out there, and uh, I've got mine on silent, but it's still transmitting, it's still broadcasting. And somewhere out there in this, in this air that I'm waving my hand in, there are all kinds of signals floated, flying through there. There's, there's probably, some, there's probably a, a line of gospel music shooting right through here somewhere. There's, there's probably some talk radio coming right through here. There's probably some stuff you wouldn't want to listen to even in the privacy of your own home coming right through this church right through here right now. There's all kind of radio waves and things going through there, but, but why don't we hear it? Because we don't have a transmitter to, or a receiver, rather, uh, to get it. We don't have a receiver. That's what he's saying about the Spirit. He's saying that, that there are those that are born only in nature. And those that are only born of nature, that have only experienced a natural birth, they can't receive. They don't have the receiver to, to get the things of God. Jesus said in, first, in uh, John chapter 3, uh, as he's talking to Nicodemus, he said, Verily I say unto you, Except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without the new birth, without the receiver in us, we cannot see it. We're not interested in it. We don't want it, <laughs> you see. Oh, but the voice of the Son of God. Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. The hour is coming and now is when they that are dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Praise God for that. Amen. See, I take comfort in that. I take comfort in the fact that, it's, that when I'm up here preaching and I'm preaching to you the gospel of your salvation and there's, there's one of God's little sheep out there and I mess it up. <laughs> I say it wrong or I offend somebody and I, and I don't get it out like I should. That it's not my voice that quickens you. It's the voice of the Son of God. Amen. See, I'm, I'm preaching to you the words of the Son of God, but I'm not speaking in His voice. And that voice can reach the mother's womb. It can reach the man breathing out threatenings and cursings. It can reach the thief on the cross before he goes off into eternity. Praise God for that. And he says this, I give unto them eternal life, back in John chapter 10 and verse 28. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, you know, that, that's a good statement right there. That's strong, isn't it? That's from the, that's from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I, that's enough for me, you know. If he said it, I believe it. But, but just in case you didn't get it, okay, he didn't stop there. He said, my Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. <laughs> My daddy's bigger than your daddy, okay? That's what he's saying. 
My daddy, you think your daddy's bad, and he may be, but my daddy's better, okay? My daddy's bigger than yours. My daddy, my father is greater than all, and he's the one that gave them to me, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. <laughs> Whew. Man, it's not just that Jesus said they can't pluck them out of his hand, they can't pluck them out of the father's hand. Now, in case you're wondering, in case you're still not satisfied, he says, I and my father are one. <laughs> So, that's pretty good assurance right there. Number one, Jesus said it. Number two, God is bigger than everybody else. And by the way, number three, I and God are one. <laughs> I and my Father, I am the very God, he's saying. And he says, no man can pluck them out of my hand. That's, that's why it's important, child of God, to understand the sovereignty of God in salvation. You know, if I could do something to get the Spirit, then it stands to reason I could do something to lose it. <laughs> I'm so glad that my salvation is not in my hands. Because if, if it were, I would mess it up. It was up to deeds that I would do. You know, our righteousnesses, according to Isaiah 64, is filthy rags. Uh, you know, I said, well, I've done some good stuff, Lord. Here it is. And he looks at it and says, filthy rags. That's all it is. Well, I got a lot of them. You got a big old stinking pile of filthy rags. <laughs> You know, when I used to be in college, I've told you this before, you know, I'd, uh, you know I'm not real good at washing clothes. So, uh, uh, so my dear mother who's here was, uh, uh, was uh, willing to do it all for me. So I'd, I'd start a pile, you know, I'd go to school on Monday, Monday night I'd start a pile. And by Friday, uh, that pile would be pretty big. Sometimes I'd forget to bring them home on Friday. So I'd have a two-week pile to bring home. Now, let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, that was a good mama to do that for me, okay? Because <laughs> that was a pile of st stinking pile of laundry, okay? Well, this is filthy rags, okay? The more you put together, the worse it smells in the, in the nostrils of God. Your works aren't going to get you to heaven. So, well, my choices, let me tell you, have you ever made a choice that was completely pure? You ever got it completely right? Well, I'm going to do this because I am completely devoted to God and I have no ulterior motive. And nothing I've done, nothing, no sin is tainting this. Child of God, every decision I have ever made in my life has been tainted by the sin that dwells in me. Every single one. I'm so thankful the Lord didn't put it on me to get myself to heaven. He said, you know, if I could have done that to get myself there, I could do something to get myself out. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. Praise God for that. And so... Understand, going back to our main point, we cannot ever, we can never lose the Spirit of God in an eternal sense. And see, it's the difference between relationship and fellowship. Relationship and fellowship. I'm so thankful mom and dad are here today, and I'm, I will always be my father's son, no matter how long I live or no matter what I do. I will always be his son. I will always bear his name. Now, I can do things to break our fellowship. I can act in such a way that he has to kick me out, that he has to break fellowship with me, and he can no longer be around me because I've done so many things that are so bad that have caused a break in our fellowship. But I'll never break that relationship. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is not a story about somebody going down into the far country and getting born again. Let me tell you what the prodigal son's about. It's about a born-again child of God who bore the name of his father and was dwelling in his father's house and was not satisfied and decided to go out into the world and make his own way, and he ends up at the place that every child of God eventually ends up who tries to go their own way in life. 
He ends up in the pig pen trying to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And child of God, you can't survive on the pig food of this world. You can't survive on that. You understand me. A sheep needs sheep food. If you find yourself in the hog pen, you'll be starving. You'll starve. And that young man came to himself. <laughs> he realized what he was. He was a child of the king. He was a child of his father. And he said, what a fool I am. I want to go back. And he, he picked himself up and he went back. To the that's about returning. See, that's about restoration of fellowship. That's not about the creation of a relationship. The relationship was already there. Saul, we read in the 10th chapter of 1 Samuel, was prophesying. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. He, proph he prophesied later. When he, in the 28th chapter of 1 Samuel, we read about a time when Saul is so far broken in his fellowship with God, with God that God will not hear his prayers. So he, con he gets a woman to conjure up Samuel, and Samuel comes back, and he, he, he basically uh, chastises him for doing that, and he says to him this. He says, Saul, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me where I am. <clears throat> where was Samuel? I believe Samuel's in heaven, right? <laughs> I believe he's in heaven. Saul was a child of God. But he was a child of God that, that had broken fellowship with God. And in that sense, we can lose the Spirit of God in a time way, in a timely way. Not in an eternal sense, but here and now. We can lose the Spirit of God. Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Which tells us there may be a time when He may not be found. And this was not written to alien sinners. This was written to children of God. Child of God, seek the Lord while he may be found. Because if you continue on your own way, and you continue on the path that Saul was on, on the path that Samson got on, on the path that uh, the prodigal son got on, there may be a time when he will not hear you in the sense of your prayers will not be answered by God. You know, we hear this all the time. Well, the Lord is not going to put on us more than we can bear. That's not what that verse says. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's another verse that people like to pull out, you know. That's not what the, that verse says. You may bear a load, you, you may have a load you cannot bear, child of God, as long as you're going in your own way. Here's what that verse says. It says, he'll not suffer us to be tempted above that which we are able. But God is faithful and will with the temptation make therewith a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. See, there's a way of escape. He said, oh, Lord won't put on us more than we can bear. Let me tell you, if you continue obstinately down that path, you're going to, bear, you're going to have a load you can't bear. <laughs> I promise you. Yeah. But see, what God does in His faithful way is He makes a way of escape. You know what that way is? It's to turn around. <laughs> now, he says, I will arise and I'll go to my Father's house. He didn't say, Lord, I'm in the pig pen. I'm bearing too much. Take the load off of me. <laughs> You know what God's saying? Uh -uh, I'm not answering that prayer. You're not where you're supposed to be. <laughs> you're still my child. You're going to be in heaven one day. But you're going to experience hell on earth being away from Him. You know what He said? He said, I'll arise and I'll go back to my Father's house. That's the way of escape, child of God. That's the way of escape. <laughs> Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Now the context, as I said, is key. We won't belabor it, but if you go back to chapter 15 sometime of 1 Samuel, 
you'll read about what the problem is with Saul. And it didn't begin there, but it culminated there. And God told in the first three verses, God gave him specific instructions. said, Saul, you go down to Amalek because of all the wicked things that are going on there, which I don't have time to go through, and all the problems that this place has caused me, and you destroy them. And you destroy all their cattle and all their sheep and everything out there. There were specific instructions, but Saul, as we do from time to time, instead of taking the clear instruction of the Word of God, liked to interpret it according to his own desires. He said, okay, well, I'll go down there and we'll kill everybody but the king. Because, <laughs> you see, I want, to, I want to be able to parade the king in front of my people. That'll help establish my kingship, see. They'll see what a great warrior I am. And I'm not going to kill all the, the best of the cattle and the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen. Why would I do that? Because <laughs> that stuff's some good stuff. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. Samuel comes along. And, and as, he, as, he, as he shows up, Saul sees him, and he does like we used to do. All right, I used to do. Let me just confess, like I used to do when I'd get in trouble. I knew I wasn't doing right. I knew I hadn't done what Daddy had told me to do. And I see Daddy coming, so before he could get there, I come walking out and say, Hey, Daddy, I've done what you said. You know, I've done the will. I've done your will. <laughs> Hoping he wasn't going to go look, you know, and see that I hadn't. <laughs> That's what Saul's doing there in the, about the ninth verse. He says, he says to Samuel, he says, Behold, I've done the will of God. <laughs> and I love that vision, that, that little mental image of Samuel. I can just see him putting his hand behind his ear saying, What then meaneth this lowing of the cattle that I hear and the bleeding of the sheep? <laughs> what is it? Oh, and Saul said, Oh, well, you know, that. Now, let me tell you about that. Uh, the people took of the best of the sheep and oxen. But we were going to sacrifice it to God. We were going to do that. And then Samuel makes that statement in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15 that we would all do well to remember. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And he goes on to say something very startling. He says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Yeah. And you know in the law what he said about witchcraft? He said, You'll not suffer a witch to live. He said, rebellion is just like that. God hates rebellion. And because of this, we're told that Samuel told him from the message from God, Saul, you're no longer king. God has sought out a man better than you to be king in your stead. And that's what brings us to verse 14 of chapter 16. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. See, that's the context. This is not an eternal consequence, but this is a time consequence of his actions here and now. And because of that, because of his disobedience, the guiding spirit of God departed from him, and this evil spirit came and it, we're told troubled him. That word troubled, it, it carries the idea of being terrified or startled. It's the idea of suddenness. So from time to time, it's like he would be afflicted. He would have a, a fit. He would have a, a, some sort of affliction just out of the blue. We might call it mental illness today. We might call it uh, something else. But whatever it was, in that day, uh, this was from God. Now let me just say to you, everything, you know, sometimes we, we preachers tend to say, well, you can fix everything without medication. You just go to the Word of God. There are some afflictions, there are some mental afflictions that cannot be fixed without the help of the medications of the doctor. They're physical in nature. They're physical in nature. But I will tell you this, there is no affliction that cannot be helped 
by the Word of God. And there are many afflictions that come upon us, and I've experienced some of them that were directly related to my disobedience. And that's what's happened here. So, the Spirit of God leaves Saul. And now, the servants of Saul seek a solution. The servants of Saul seek a solution. Look at verse 15. Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let now our Lord command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Now I want to say to you, this was their solution, but their suggestion was not a very good one, was it? It wasn't a very good one, was it? Is this really what Saul needed? Did Saul really need somebody to come play some music? Now look, music can calm and soothe the troubled soul. There are times when I'm going to court or I'm going to work or I'm having trouble somewhere and I'll put on, uh, through my, uh, off of my iPhone, I'll, I'll put in uh, the songs of some of our singing here at church. Uh, boy, I'm, I can't wait to get this one from this morning. It was so good. And I'll start playing that and it lifts my spirits and I get back in the kind of mood I need to be in. So yes, singing and song can soothe the troubled soul. But is that really what Saul needed? Listen, Saul didn't need to be refreshed. Saul needed to repent. <laughs> he needed to repent. You know, we're told in Isaiah 59 and verse 1 and 2, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. That's talking to children of God. Understand me. That's not what Saul needed. Saul didn't need David or some other man to come play the harp for him. Saul needed to repent and do God's will. They should have told him to deal with the source of his problem. The source of his depression and discouragement was his sin. And they should have told him, you need to get right with God. Yes, that's a biblical term. Not in the sense of eternity, but in the sense of here and now with our fellowship. You need to get your heart right with God. You know, today's counsel is medicated. Cover it up. Drink your depression away. Drugs, whatever it may be. Child of God, we need to deal with the source and not the symptoms. Their suggestion was not a very good one, but their selection was inspired. Their selection was inspired. Look at verse 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing, a mighty man, valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Six things here, five things, I guess you might say. Five qualifications. What a resume he had. He was a skillful musician, he was a mighty warrior. He was a prudent speaker. He, you know, a, a, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of yeah. silver. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. He could say the right thing at the right time. I've been so guilty so many times of saying the right thing at the wrong time or the wrong thing at the right time, you know. I get it all mixed up. But David wasn't like that. He was prudent. <clears throat> he, was, he, was able to, he, he was able to say the right thing at the right time. He was a good-looking young man. He was handsome. He was charismatic. He had personal magnetism, if you will. But most important of all, it said, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. He's a godly man. 
He's a man the Lord has blessed. And he lives faithfully to the, to the Lord. Let, let me tell you something. <laughs> if, if, any, if there were any compliment that I, that I desire, or that we all of us should desire, it's not that we would be the best looking, the, the, most, the most intelligent, the best athlete, the best at business, the, you know, the, the greatest warrior. It's that we would be considered a godly person. The Lord, if somebody would ever to say, you know what, I know old Chris, he's got his faults. He's got a whole lot of problems. He ain't near as good looking as he used to be. He ain't near as strong as he used to be. He ain't near as smart as somebody else. But he, the Lord is with him. I'll take that. I'll take that. That ought to be our desire. Their selection was inspired by God. And now we see that the sweet psalmist of Israel goes to sing for the king. And notice in verse 19 how humble he was in his approach. It says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. He comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he came straight from the sheepfold. Remember what we said before, and we're going to talk about it next week for sure, because we're going to talk about chapter 17 and his, his, uh, his uh, fight with Goliath. But you remember what we said before? Where is it that God trains his servants to fight giants? Where is it? Is it in some great school of gladiators somewhere? Is it in is some of the greatest seminaries in the world? No. <laughs> It's back out there on the hillsides shepherding those smelly old sheep where nobody's watching, where nobody's paying attention, where it's just you and God. Yeah. And you're out there preparing for the battle and not even knowing it. You know, you understand that, and, and for, today, for us today, you might boil that down to the home. You know, sometimes... Unfortunately, and I, I put myself in this category too, sometimes we're different when we're in public than we are at home. But do you understand that the home is the crucible where the ser your service to God is preparing? You know, you can't, if you want to know about me, ask my children or ask my wife. Please don't. <laughs> I don't, want, I don't want them to, and if they ask y'all, y'all lie, okay, please. Tell them what a great guy I am. I don't want them to know how, how bad I can be at home and how, how selfish I can be at home, how self-focused I can be at home. But, you know, our goal ought to be that in our lives at home, which is where we, where we really live, that that's where we serve God the best and the most. Out there on the hillside, He took Him from the sheep. He'd been anointed king. And he went back to the sheepfold. Yeah. If I'd been anointed king, I'd be walking around my brother saying, hey, bow to me, bow to me. You know, I'm the man. I'm fixing to be the man. You better not forget this one day. Not David. David went back to the sheep and he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. <laughs> and remember, David is not going to be king. He's already king in the sight of God. And yet he's headed to Jerusalem on this lowly donkey to serve this madman who is still seated on the throne. But notice this, in verses 21 through 23, he was faithful in his service. 
David came to Saul and stood before him. He loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse and said, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. It says he stood before the king. What he's saying here is, I'm ready and reporting for duty. It's as if a, a marine is, is standing at attention, ready to do the bidding of his master. This is the king. This is the new king, the 16, 17-year-old boy who is really king in the sight of God, standing ready to serve. And Saul loved him, we're told. Now we're going to see that that relationship goes sour, but it's not David's fault. It's not David's fault. Remember this, child of God, when we serve one another, we build a bond of love that can... I won't say it can't be broken, but it's hard to break it. One of the things we do here, and the Primitive Baptist Church does as a practice, is when we do communion, we engage in the foot washing service. Many people think, well, foot wash, that's weird, isn't it? Well, if you read the 13th chapter of John, you'll see that our Lord Himself, we're told that He, he laid aside His garments and girded Himself with a towel, got out on His hands and knees, and washed his disciples' feet. The very ones that would betray him within 24 hours. Peter himself, who would curse and swear and say, I never knew, he washed his feet. You know, I believe that was one of the reasons Peter went out and wept bitterly when it came back to him. He's remembering the Lord's head as he's bowed down before him, the Lord of glory. I can't imagine what those angels thought. <laughs> Angels standing there say, what's he doing? What, what, what is he doing? Do they not know he's king of kings and lord of lords? And this is Peter who's going to betray him. This is the disciples that have been fussing about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And he's washing their feet. You know what he said to us? He said, if I do this for you, you ought to wash one another's feet. You know why? Because we can't go up to him and lay our head on his breast as the disciple John did. Oh, how I'd long to do that. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could go to our Lord as you could your father if, if, if he's still living or if you had a good father. Just go lay your head on his breast and be comforted in that way. But we can't do that now. He's seated on the throne. He's back in heaven. He's here with us spiritually, but not physically. But guess what? I can wash your feet. I can serve you. And that's what that service is all about. And that's what's happening here. Saul loves David because David, who is the king, nonetheless serves in a humble way. And Saul was refreshed. And that word means he breathed easy. He breathed easy. You know, I think some, some of what Saul was experiencing was something akin to maybe a panic attack or anxiety. And, you know, you get to the point where you just can't, you just can't handle things and you, and you have a panic attack. And, and, and all of us have experienced those kinds of anxiety, uh, that kind of anxiety from time to time. And yet, when he played with his harp and he was served by this young shepherd boy, he was refreshed. What are the lessons, preacher, as we close? First of all, as I've already said, music can be a great ministry to those who are miserable. If you, you're needing to be refreshed, Put you on some good singing. Not the kind that the world's got going out there that's thumping and beating and all that, okay? Put you on some good singing, some good, 
good choir singing, good gospel music, good. I, what, what I love, as I said, is, is your voice is lifted up in song. I love to listen to that. Secondly, the training for leading is serving. Serving. Kind of a theme is running through this, isn't it? We're going to see it much more. The training for leading is serving. And, and also, let me just say this as we close. Notice what God did providentially here. God used the gifts that David had to train him for leading. He didn't step outside and say, okay, you've done pretty good on the sheepfold. You've done pretty good playing the harp, but now we're going to teach you how to be a master on the sword or a master of the chariots. No, he took his gifts that he had and he used them where he was. <clears throat> Just like David wouldn't wear Saul's armor in the next chapter, he used the weapons that he was skilled on. David wouldn't try to be somebody he wasn't. And you don't need to try to be somebody you aren't either. God will use you where you are if you are in his will. And notice also that God providentially brought this shepherd boy who is now king in God's sight from the sheepfold to the palace. <laughs> and while, while he was serving Saul, David was learning how to be king. This old shepherd boy out here didn't know the intricacies and the ins and outs of the palace and who was who and that sort of thing. He was just taking care of those sheep. But now God providentially has carried him to a place where he is learning how to be king. He's seeing what's going on. And I want to tell you, child of God, the Lord does that with us in his life, in our lives, rather. So if you want to be a leader, you have to first learn to be a server. And if you want people to submit to you, you have to first learn submission. And let me leave you with this. You can always trust God to get you where you need to be. Now that's not some kind of, God's not moving you like a puppet. As I've said many times, you know, it's hard to steer a car when the motor's not running, right? Try to do that. Go cut your motor off. Don't do it. <laughs> if you do it, do it in the parking lot. Go turn off the key and try to turn that car. It's not going to do very well, is it? But if that car is running, you can steer it. See, if our motor is running for God, He'll steer us in the right direction. Serve Him. Seek Him. And you know what? He just might take a little shepherd boy and put him in the palace and prepare him to be king. He can still do that today. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.